0: The 007 Countdown from Some Like It Sky. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined as always by the Countdown crew, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the podcast, we enter Bond's modern era with 2006's soft reboot for the franchise, Casino Royale. But first, how are you guys?
1: Um, I'm good. I'm getting ready to buy my first uh, movie theater tickets since the pandemic era. So that's exciting. Um, Suicide Squad?
2: King yeah. Shark pushed him over the edge. He, yep. needed see, he needed to see Sly Stallone in action one more time. That is
1: definitely not the first or the fifth reason why, but that's okay. Um, I'm still excited
0: Wait, about here's, it. Here's a good question Jay, have you ever seen any Sylvester Stallone
2: films? Yes. He's got to have seen Creed okay. at least. Oh, I've, I've
1: seen the first, like, what, five? I've seen like five Rocky of the movies. first six Rockies yeah. or okay. five of the six Rocky movies, and then well, I saw like, him in Creed. Do- he Don't was... act
0: like it's a crazy question. Didn't <laughs> we learn recently? You'd seen like Zodiac was like the first Jake Gyllenhaal movie you'd ever seen. <laughs> mm,
1: was that before or after Spider Man: Far From Home? Which I realize is not really helping my case. <laughs> it, w- it would. It would have been
2: after. It would have been, yeah, been after. But yeah.
1: There you go. How are you, Scott? God, are
2: you? <laughs> oh, I'm. I'm great. I've have. I'm having a swell time, guys. You know, we've been, you know, faffing about with. With the Bond movies, you know, so far in the first six parts of the series. And I don't know if, how much I've said it actually on the mic, but certainly off of it, I've just been talking about how it's just whatever it is for me. It's just get through to the, the Craig Bond. So I'm excited to be talking about Craig this week. And, uh, you know, I will say that I had not watched Casino Royale in a while. I think it had been a minute. Probably. I think I rewatched that it before Skyfall, which was I mean, I was still in high school. So that actually might have been the last time I'd seen it, and I felt like I took some new things away on this watch. So I'll just tease that I won't give away my overall thoughts, but it was it was a, it was an enriching rewatch, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I'll save my story of seeing Skyfall
2: for the first time and uh, for a couple weeks because uh, it was a unique experience to say the Boy, least. I'm but, I'm uh, so curious. I so I saw I saw that film with John Morton Scott. If you if you remember him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's 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 a pretty unique experience. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. too. I'll tell you off air. Like I said, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it off, um, on air. At least not for two weeks. But I'll tell you off air. Um, but anyway, uh, with that, uh, today we do edge closer to the release of No Time to Die as we enter the Daniel Craig era of Bond with Casino Royale, helmed by GoldenEye director Martin Campbell. Casino Royale takes us back in time to the beginning of Bond's career as a Double O agent. The plot of the film sees Bond tracking a private banker named LeChief, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who has terrorists on his payroll. When Bond deals a blow to the wallets of LeChief's clients, LeChief organizes a high-stakes poker tournament to recoup his clients' fund, funds. Naturally, Bond shows up to face off against the steely LaShif, but this time Bond isn't alone. He's joined by the seductive British Treasury agent Vesper Lind, played by Eva Green, who accompanies Bond to keep an eye on the British government's financial investment in the poker tournament. What ensues is a 140 minute spectacle that brings a gritty tone to the James Bond franchise, not seen previously, but Jay, is this new feel for the series, a welcome shift or does the film's more modern spin suck away some of the intrinsic qualities of the Bond franchise?
1: Guys, that was awesome. That was so much fun. Um, (laughs) I mean, I, I resisted posting on Letterbox just in case one of you guys didn't like it. I get the feeling this is going to be a somewhat boring episode in that we all loved it. I loved it. That was so much fun. I honestly almost watched Quantum Solace before hopping on here. And yes, I'm aware that, like, you know, <laughs> the Bond movies might have peaked a little early. Um,
2: I, I don't think you'll I, find any argument that Quantum of Solace raises the stakes on Casino Royale. I don't know if people consider Casino Royale the peak. We can probably have that discussion, but Quantum of Solace is certainly. I'm sure not we will at peak. some point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I hear this isn't one of the better ones. I still just wanted
1: to keep going though. Um, that was the the expression I kept finding myself thinking uh, while watching the movie is this is not your daddy's Bond, right? Like this was very, very different um, in a lot of like very easy to point to ways, which I'm sure we'll get to shortly, um, and. I mean, you know, if, if if that means it's not, like, you know, like, truly a Bond movie, I mean, like, you know, it, as far as, like, the archetype goes, so be it. That was... I mean, I'll just spoil this part. That was the best movie we've seen in this countdown so far, um, to me. And it's not really that close.
2: Scott? Yeah, I mean, okay, so this movie rips. I mean, this movie absolutely rips. Uh, the opening... 30 minutes of this film are just they're, they're like a dream start to a Bond movie between the intro of how he gets his double O status, which which doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not the super long drawn out scene. You get the iconic callback, you know, to the, you know, turning around, shooting the gun into the into the eye. And then you go straight into this, I'd say, more traditional, in a sense, Bond opening action scene that we might have been accustomed to at least in several of the films we've talked about in this call, this countdown, if not the majority. And it's just simply and like a much better version of that, in my opinion. And I think it's because Daniel Craig is really equipped to do some like modern stunt work on his own. And he has the athletic, he has like the athleticness that certainly Roger Moore didn't have. and, And Timothy Dalton was probably too old to have Pierce Brosnan was closer to that. I mean, he, in retrospect, I think Brosnan does really feel like a bridge towards this modern era, more so than I might have thought previously, where it felt it feels like a super stark divide between Brosnan and Craig. I think it's like a little bit closer than I thought, and I think it's more of a stark contrast in how Martin Campbell and the produ- and the producers on this, you know, the Broccolis, decided to to revamp just what the, how they were going to approach making a Bond movie. More Even more than it is a huge shift from Brosnan to Craig, in my mind. Um, but, I mean, the, the opening 30 minutes really sets the tone incredibly well for the whole film. And I will got to say, I was talking about a rewatch really taking new things away. And I just thought it was absolutely hilarious that the reason that Lashif loses like $111 million or whatever is because he has a couple bad puts on Skyfleet, which is essentially what happened to all these hedge funds last year with GameStop stock. They're shorting it. Um, And they got screwed out of millions. And so I just think that was a hilarious uh, thing that I caught this time. Uh, It's not obviously that huge of a a detail. Obviously, it's an important plot point, but it's not a huge detail of the plot. And but actually catching it this time was just hilarious to me. But this this film is really awesome. Um, I do. I did like it even more than I remembered. And I'll get into more of the reasons why. Like a little bit later on some of the things that I thought you know might be bit a bit of a trap for these types of movies I think it kind of turns it on its head a little bit and does something a lot more interesting and analyzing sort of the more stereotypically I think what we would call negative things about the bond franchise and you know may, maybe I'll be on an island on that one and you guys will disagree with me that's totally fine. we'll get to that conversation. but I thought it was you know a phenomenal movie when I first saw it I think it's an even better movie now. Um, having seen it, I mean, I guess it's like 15 years later, right? 2006. Um, great film.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will confess like this sort of tone for an action movie is generally not the tone that I prefer. Um, I think people know I'm more of a fan of the nineties and early 2000s style of action movie. Um, but Yeah, I mean, this movie is very well made. Um, And, you know, I was thinking about this, and I did write about this in my Letterboxd post a little bit, that um, this feels like a pioneer of the modern action movie. Again, like, not just just outside the James Bond, I mean, go outside the James Bond franchise. Like, yeah, it's definitely a, a shift in James Bond movies, but, you know, it's also a shift in just action movies in general. And I think you can look at the last, you know, decade, 15 years, whatever, of blockbusters and and see that a lot of them have tried to sort of match this grittier, more grounded, realistic, if you want to use that word, tone. Um, And and again, I I think it doesn't always work for me, but this movie is able to find a way to make something that is both grounded and very fun still um, in a way that like the Mission Impossible movies, I think do really well as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can point to one thing. I just think, again, it's a very well-crafted movie overall. Um, I came into this one, you know, i have seen it a couple of times. It had been a while, but you know, I've seen most of the Bond movies. This was the one that I always thought was the best. I still think that, um, I, I think it just has the, the perfect, um, formula, which is to say that it deviates from the formula uh of bond as i wrote in my post like this is the best bond movie to me because it's the least bond movie at least that we've watched so far um it's just really it's devoid of a lot of those you know trappings that we've talked about as like the bond formula or you know the things that are not necessarily the bond formula but which we see in every movie like the casual sexism and everything towards the bond girls um definitely they're making positive strides in this movie with the character of Vesper, but it's still like, it is a bond movie. Like, uh, you know, we can sit here and, and I guess bandy back and forth about, you know, is it a bond movie? Cause it's so different. Uh, but like, you know, to me it's like the same logic as the last Jedi or something, right? You can't just say, Oh, well, this isn't really a star Wars movie because like it, um, you know, it was so different from everything that came before it. Like, Sorry, it's a Star Wars movie. Maybe you don't like it, but it is a Star Wars movie. Maybe you don't like Casino Royale, but it is a James Bond movie. At the end of the day, and you got to suck it up and live with the fact that it's in the franchise. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, but again, it, it's and it does feel like you know there are these I- intrinsic elements of the the movie, like almost Batman Begins style, right, where we are like setting up these iconic qualities of the character and we're showing you how they came to be established right that that's what batman begins i think does such a great job of is like all those reveals of like the bats the bat signal the you know the costume everything is so satisfying like um when you see how that happened for the first time it's not han solo getting his name at solo right it it actually um
2: connects
1: just spitting all the star wars fire right now (laughs)
2: He probably, and, he probably read a Star Wars thread right before this. Forget on the episode. It's
0: gotta be it, yeah. right? Like what's for some up? reason, the, for some reason, the Last Jedi discourse has seemed to come back around a little bit in the last week or so. But anyway, we definitely don't want to get into that. The point is, the bond. This movie has those sort of that sort of things as well. Like you know, you mentioned Scott, the turning around and shooting shot. Like we see, you know, how it would, how it became a thing. Basically, we see the martini, the vodka martini, shaken not stirred. Like it actually plays a role in the plot. Kind of, uh, because he ends up getting poisoned via that martini, um, and we see, you know, the way that the movie ends, right, is is a great mic drop with introducing us to that Bond, James Bond, like the iconic introduction of the character. Um, so I, I just think the movie really, really works, despite like being so different from uh, past Bond movies. Like, it is still a Bond movie. It ushers in a new era that maybe I. You know we'll have more mixed feelings about as we go on um and and again in in general I, I do have mixed feelings about the era of blockbusters that this has ushered in um like i don't think you're ever going to see a movie with the tone of like spider-man 2002 made for 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 a while again uh if we're being quite honest and that is like i said that is kind of the, the tone that i prefer but like this movie is top, top shelf craftsmanship. Um, and you know, the the 140 minutes, like, you know, I, I talked up front about uh, up front of the whole series about how, you know, my, one of my problems with a lot of the bond movies is that they were kind of boring. And yeah, the, the movies that we talked about thus far, some of them definitely have their boring stretches. Um, this one, despite being one of the longest films we've watched so far, didn't really have any lulls for me. Um, I think it has a great balance of set pieces and stuff in between the action that actually keeps you interested. Again, I think it does have a complicated plot, just like we see in a lot of um, other, other bond movies.
2: Um, Really? That was one of the features I think of this film that didn't, it's just about money. This film's, this is ultimately just about money. It's really straightforward.
0: Yeah. But there's a lot of like, players with like Mr. White and then like Steve Obano or whatever that guy's name is there's a lot of like hands in the pot where you don't really know exactly who everyone is I feel like and um, what their motivations are And um, but
1: do we get that even to this degree in any of the movies that came before
0: no maybe not most of the movies that came before I should say but yeah it's probably a little bit more simplified than the movies in the past, but again, it it is still a little bit hard to follow. But my point is that, you know, again, the plot doesn't freaking matter in these movies. And this is, this is the first time, kind of the first time um, of the movies that we've watched where I felt like I I don't care what the plot is right now because I'm having a great time watching this. Um, The poker scenes, the stuff between Bond and Vesper, um all of it really works even when you know they're not doing the the action and stunt work and stuff which is generally very good in all of the movies we've watched so uh yeah uh, a lot of positives on this one for sure um but let's talk about daniel craig now as bond because obviously you know we are going to get the biggest sample of him as bond in this series we're going to be watching all of his films leading up to to no time to die which will be his final um outing as james bond um what do you guys think about what he's able to bring to the franchise? You know, we, we kind of bring up this question every single time that we have talked about a different actor. You know, how does he compare to the past people we've seen? What's new about him? That's good. Is there anything you don't like, Scott?
2: Yeah, I mean, Daniel Craig, to me, and part of it's going to be because he's like the bond that I've grown up with, and I, and I don't want to underweight that as a component right? Like if you grew up with Brosnan, if you grew up with Moore, if you grew up with, you know, Connery, if you were that era, I mean, that's probably you have a very different perspective. But Daniel Craig, when I think of James Bond, kind of like you were talking about last week, Scott, I mean, you said that Pierce Brosnan is the guy that you think of when you think of Bond. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think you said that. Um, I feel that way about about Daniel Craig. I, I mean, I think of Bond, I think of, you know, Five foot, eleven, six foot tall, Daniel Craig, steely blue eyes, super athletic, you know, steely personality with dry charm. Like he embodies every characteristic of Bond that I think about. And not only does he embody those characteristics, I think he lives in the character better than anyone anyone else. Um, granted, I think there are some who have been closer to that bar that he is you know that he's set in the modern day in the past and than, than others. And we've talked about those over of the years, and I and like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I think Pierce Brosnan is actually probably closer, at least in you know Goldeneye, the the one sample we had of his. I know that people might feel differently of the films that are perceived a little bit worse, um, but I think that in that I, I could I think I feel it really could feel the connection paving the way towards what we ultimately get with Craig, uh, as as the central Bond uh, or as the Bond character here. You know, he has it, he has this sort of really isolated personality, someone who it's really hard to break down his walls. He has charm and charisma. You can understand why women would fall for him. And I think to some extent you can understand um the com like in even in playing out this character in this in this film, I think you can understand his vulnerabilities as you know, as Bond better than any other film. Um, and part of that is because maybe we are getting the beginning of his career before he has this more refined personality and, um, you know, persona as a character. But I really appreciate all those things. I think that he embodies the character perfectly. He has the athleticism. He has the charm. And he has the looks. And I think if you're thinking about Bond, those that's the trifecta of things you need. And I just think that he, ju- he just about does all three of those better than anyone else.
1: Does he have the athleticism? I mean, I think I need a few more shirtless or booty short scenes in in a movie to be just really sure of that fact. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, so it's funny, right? Like never having seen a Bond movie before we started this countdown, like the, I probably also think of Daniel Craig when I think of Bond, but if for no other reason than my only experience with Bond until I was 25 and a half was seeing posters of him you know, 007 for all the movies that came out, you know, when I was younger. Um, and then, you know, obviously we went through, We you know, we've sampled four before this. And, you know, it, even though, like, I mean, I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, like, yeah, maybe he doesn't f- quite fit the, like, stereotype of, like, tall, dark-haired, you know, like, just that, like, ultimate level of suave that I think Sean Connery still holds above the rest. I mean, like, I I bought into it. I bought into this new vision right from the get-go. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't have too much more to say about him as a Bond, I think, but I think what the what really serves him well is just the movie, I think, is, like, crafted in a way to really, like, serve him. I mean, like, right from the get-go, right? You have, you know, this scene of him, like, drowning a guy, or trying to drown a guy, like, you know, in a sink. Like, very, like, right off the bat, like, very dark. You know, again, he was, like, waiting in the dark for his, like, second kill, and then throughout the movie, you know, like it, you are right, Scott, I think, you know, in saying that he like lives in the character the best. Like I never feel like there's an awkward moment. He's just always this like walled off gritty guy. But the movie itself again, like serves to, you know, give you like a wink and a nod here and there to the old Bond things. I think about when Eva Green shows up and she's like, you know, I'm the money and she, and he goes worth every penny. And you're like, ha ha, like money, penny. And, when he the first drink he orders in the movie like isn't a vodka, any kind of vodka martini and the two guys at the bar just look up at him like what like again like subtle nods to you know what came before i think the movie was just funny um in like those regards to me and again you know he shows up his first like car scene he's like driving a ford and then you know he like levels up once or twice until he has the aston martin and it's like all right great you know like, like it's i think you know, he, he, again, he he plays the character so well. I really buy into the vision, but I also think the movie, you know, does a, like the writing and whatnot, like does a great job setting him up, you know, to also like give us those, like, again, those winks and those nods. It's, it doesn't work when, I mean, just to reference a movie, Scott Harvey mentioned earlier, like in Solo, when you, you know, every detail of Han Solo's movie is crammed into this and it's not, you know, it's not really subtle anymore. You know, you might as well look at the, uh, look at the audience and go, you love me? Like, I know. But, you know, this one, again, much more subtly, like, reminds you that this is a Bond movie. Again, ending with that iconic, the name's Bond, James Bond. You know, I, I think it was just really well done to help usher in clearly a very talented actor, but also like this just totally new image of Bond.
0: And it's worth pointing out, too, I don't think I said this up front, but Casino Royale is actually the first Bond book. Uh, The first one that Ian Fleming ever wrote. So, um, you know, it makes sense that when they wanted to reboot things, sort of, that this is where they started. Um, Obviously, the story lends itself very well to, you know, kind of being an origin story for Bond. But, yeah, I mean, I think to hone in on one thing you said there, like, yeah, he sells, like, the the physicality and the darkness better than some of the other actors. Like, you know, they tried to do some of this type of stuff in, like... Um, you know, uh Live and Let Die, for example, or License to Kill, like License to Kill, where Bond is like on this like revenge path. There's like m- been multiple movies. I get not Live and Let Die, I guess. I'm thinking of License to Kill and Goldeneye, I guess. The last two movies we watched. Like there's we you know, we've had Bond sort of on a revenge path. Like Felix dies in License to Kill. We have, you know, Alec Trevelyan presumed dead for most of Goldeneye and Bond sort of on the war path there. But Brosnan and and Dalton just weren't necessarily able to to make that believe, fully believable, right? Like that um, bond. Oh, here's he's a loose cannon now. He's got this darkness inside of him, and he's really dangerous. And that is kind of the way you, f- you feel about Craig in this movie for sure. Um, and look, we've been saying it all along. I think like who's the best Bond? Who's your favorite Bond? It's a matter of personal preference, right? It's it's what you think of James Bond as being. For me, like, you know, like I said, I think of Pierce Brosnan because of, like, the video games. I think of Sean Connery because, like, I love Sean Connery. Like, I literally had a poster in my room as, as a teenager of Sean Connery as James Bond. Not because I love James Bond or anything, but because Sean Connery is awesome and he's he was cool. Um, so I don't know if I'm ever going to say that that Daniel Craig is, like, my favorite Bond for those reasons. But I do think that he is the best Character of James Bond, like Daniel Craig's version of Bond, is the best character, the most well-developed, well-realized character that goes by the name James Bond. Is he the best Bond? Again, that's a—I feel like that's a different question. But um, to me, like the craftsmanship of the film is such that this is the most interesting Bond character that we have seen, uh, because he doesn't just fall into the same trappings necessarily that um, a lot of the others have to some extent to varying extents um so yeah i think i think he you know i think he what he brings is really great that suaveness is definitely not there like it is with other people but you know maybe what he doesn't have in that regard in that department he makes up for again like we said in the physicality or in the the darkness the uh, you know way he's able to to sell that different side of bond um the steely side as i believe you said scott um so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a different part, kind of
2: charm of or a different kind of suave than what sure. we we would have seen before, sure,
0: um, and you know, yeah, i mean he he is he's definitely charming, like you know the even the torture scene, right, like the way he's cracking jokes and stuff in there, like um that feels more bond in a way, like that's reminiscent of like the goldfinger scene where he's all you know lying on the bed and they goldfinger brings out the laser the famous scene from goldfinger but um yeah i mean i i think you know there, he still has his moments where you're like where he is recognizably james bond um even if you know a lot of things about him are different from what we've seen but uh speaking of different uh, i think it's fair to say that this portrayal of a bond girl is something that's very different from what we've seen thus far uh we've talked about uh you know how this being one of the weaknesses of the franchise um, and really part of the Bond formula, right? The sort of casual sexism, one-dimensional portrayal of the Bond girls. Um, And they were obviously trying to address that in this movie with the character of Vesper Lind played by Eva Green. Jay, do you think they succeeded?
1: I mean, they gave this her one to two more dimensions than most Bond girls seen so far, right? Uh, we, you know, we well, let's call it strides in the right direction, right? Like I, just to, you know, contrast it a bit. Like there is, I don't know the name of the actor who played the first like love interest in the movie, um, which felt like more traditional, right? Where it's like, the yeah. girlfriend of one of the bads, and you know, is like pretty quickly smitten by him, and like you know, you you're keeping like elements of the past like very much in there, and again, like this, I think they did a better job. You know, again, just giving her more depth. It was even like weird self-aware at one point when Craig is talking to her, and it's like you've like changed your attitude toward me like very quickly. It's like, haha, you know, we- weirdly self-aware. I don't know if that works, but you know, in a, in a vacuum, I would say yeah, that was a that was a like, solid, you know, female lead for what I would expect from a mid to early to mid two thousands uh, action movie, and definitely like in the in the better tier. Of Bond girls we've seen, again keeping in mind, you know some of the stuff we've known about Bond. Movies, we don't quite have all the details on just because I've only seen the sampling we have, but this also you know gives Craig's Bond right like an, a love interest from early in his career that ends poorly, and now he might be all walled off, and that was like to me reminiscent of uh, Timothy Dalton's character, right? They reference multiple times like
0: oh he was married once, but you know now he's just which. You know, yeah, I mean, to be years. fair, we did not watch. We did not watch on Her Majesty's Secret Service, with, which was George Lazenby's one film as James Bond, uh, which is the one where he actually gets married and his wife ends up dying. So, that's what they're referring to when all that when that always comes up.
1: Well, uh, I was just saying, yeah, it was it was reminiscent. It was another again like way of kind of keeping some threads from before. Um mm-hmm. and also adding in like a nice little twist, because you're kind of there. And I mean I was sitting there like, how are there still 20 minutes left in this movie? And then you're sitting there like, oh no, you know, like we've never seen a Bond girl like turn on Bond at the end of the movie. And it wasn't so simple, but again, like, you know, it was just different in that way. And that was you know, at least a, a welcome anyways.
0: Scott, your thoughts on Vesper?
2: Yeah, I think Vesper is great. Eva Green didn't do anything after this worth of note, which I'm no. not quite sure <laughs> how the sound of her
0: career falling off a cliff after this. Yeah.
2: yeah. I don't really understand how that happened necessarily. Cause I think that she's really good. She's given a lot to work with in this film. Frankly, I don't think she's a perfect bond girl. I don't think we're going to get a perfect bond girl in this series. I think you can, I think there's some really easy things to pull po- to point out that like, even this like good bond girl at the end of the day is still just trying to like save her, Kidnapped or killed boyfriend from Algeria like it's it's still just there still are these sort of like classical female characters and male written movie problems. Not um,
0: passing the Bechdel test, probably.
2: Yeah, I need to familiarize myself a little bit more on exactly how to pass the Bechdel test. But I, I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test. Y-
0: you have to have a conversation with two female characters talking about something well, other st- than a you man. can stop.
2: You can stop there. There is not another yeah. female character in this movie that Vesper talks to. <laughs> yeah,
0: but uh, but my my point is like uh, the second part of it is right. It has to be about something other than a man. And like to your point, her motivation like ultimately still revolves around a man. So like in that regard, yeah. like spiritually,
2: it also doesn't pass the Bechdel test. It's like reverse fridging, I guess they could, they killed her man. And so she had to do something about it. Um, sure. <laughs> inverted fridging. Um, but I, I still Did you say inverted. I know man. Tenet is <laughs> Chris Nolan's bond movie. We'll leave it at that. Um, I think that it is. She's a, she's a, she's a good character. I think I think she really pays dividends for Bond as a character. I mean, Scott, you just talked for you know five minutes or whatever it was about how you think, you know, there may be better bonds, but there isn't necessarily there pro- there may not be a better developed character with Daniel Craig's Bond. And I think in part of that is because of this character of Vesper and the performance by Eva Green, this sort of you know, prickly exchange that they have at the beginning where it doesn't really seem like she's um, like, she knows the kind of person that he is and she's not very into that. And, you know, the events are the course of the film, you know, maybe she does fall a little too quickly for him and whatnot. But I even think with that, the, the film is trying to do something else, which we can talk about later, but I, I just find it to be a, a relatively speaking, believable character for a bond girl. And I think she's well, I think she's pretty grounded I think they don't try to just bastardize her and her relationship with Bond overly. So, and I think the movie benefits from it. And I, I, it's a huge bummer. The first time you watch this movie and realize that she dies at the end of it, it is a huge bummer. Um, but it, it's just such a huge motivation for the entire arc that, you know, bonds, this version of bond is going to go through. So it's, it's exciting and retrospectively in that sense and i think that uh, to to wrap up where i started i don't know what happened to eva green
0: yeah i mean there's genuine like emotional stakes in their relationship yeah. which is certainly not something you could say about any of the i mean i'm having sitting here having trouble remembering half the names of the love interests in the movies that we've watched thus far like yeah and to, to you you guys point. like i mean Wait, it, that's not a love
2: interest is, never mind keep going
0: <laughs> yeah on Top was a great character that that's not a good example cuz i actually enjoyed her character a lot but well but she's also but like yeah,
2: not really not, a love interest no not at all yeah, um, <laughs> yeah.
0: but uh but yeah no w- to your guys point like i think she's subverting a lot of what we typically see with a bond, bond girl. girl like be- right because you know she starts off like Oh, she's got her defenses up or whatever, like every Bond girl does. And, you know, of course our expectation is, oh, well, these will be down, you know, two scenes from now. They'll be, you know, making out. um, And yeah, sure. So, like, you know, it doesn't take long for her to come around to Bond's charms or whatever. But then, like, again, it it shifts again. And, and there's this constant sort of suspense and tension with this character where you don't exactly know what side she's playing. Right. Because, again, she comes back. It seems like she sells him out at the end, but then she kind of doesn't because she gives him the cell phone and uh, so on and so forth. So, it, you know, the constantly shifting loyalties are, you know, good. It 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 shows that she has some agency in her decisions, right? She's not just like she meets Bond and all of a sudden, you know, everything about her, her intelligence, her poise, her confidence, whatever, is just like turned to mush by the presence of this guy, Um, no, she's still the person that she was before. Um, And, you know, there's just some nice little moments of the character, like this, the scene where she's in the shower, like after the shootout has happened, where she's like, just like traumatized basically by um, the shootout that she's, you know, just witnessed the brutal fight in like the stairwell there in the hotel and everything that she um, has just seen Bond participate in. Like, that's not something you you know they wouldn't other movies that we've seen have certainly not given a blonde girl that sort of like introspective moment um and so i you know certainly appreciate it for that is it a perfect character no i mean you know it's it's certainly not again we're not talking about a movie that passes the bechdel test here by general standards it's a solid female character um by bond standards it's yeah i mean top 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 of the list world easily. beater <laughs> yeah top of the list easily and yeah i mean eva, eva great's performance yeah i don't want to take anything away from that either because i think she's very good um and it is a shame that her career never went anywhere um from this like some of the roles that i've seen her in since this i actually think she's quite bad in Dumbo. some of these movies if you if you want to watch yeah. her do the worst joan crawford impersonation ever watch this movie called white bird in a blizzard um it's she's awful in the movie um but she's very good in this one so uh, don't want to don't want to take away from that certainly um shifting our focus to the villain here la uh played by you know an actor who has not had the same career trajectory as eva green who uh you know is still as big as he's ever been possibly um, that being Mads Mikkelsen, um, you know, he's, he's obviously had a fruitful career. This was a movie that kind of jumpstarted that for him. Um, what do you guys think about his uh, villainous banker here? LaChief Scott?
2: Yeah, I, I think in many ways we talk about, I talked about Eva green being given a lot to do and a lot to work with, with this Vesper Lind character. I think in many ways, Mads Mikkelsen kind of has the opposite. I think Lashif, there's not very much to work with, frankly. You know, this, this is a villain who is not the ultimate bad in the film, right? And that's clear by the end. You know, he's just another puppet, which could be something to play with. But the direction they decide to go in the film, talking spoilers, is they decide to kill him off with half an hour left. And at that point, there's not really a villain in the movie left. And so if you're Mads Mikkelsen, you have about an hour an hour and a half to make an impression. And I think he makes a really strong impression with what little he has. I mean, there's not really any character development. This, ca- you know, this character of Lashif is in an interesting position because he's not, again, he's not like this kingpin of a organization like Goldfinger, or he's not Alex Trevelyan, who is this rogue agent who's in control of all the pawns being moved around the chessboard. In many ways, Lashif is this person who's trying to survive after a catastrophic error that he made with his clients' money. And his, all of his clients are much more dangerous than he is. And I think that sets up an interesting character that they don't go anywhere with. But I think Mads Mikkelsen really does make the most of that. I think he makes a really strong impression as Lashif. Not the most memorable, memorable character, but I think a memorable performance. And in many ways, I I totally agree. I mean, I don't know how much notoriety he had before this. I am I think that this maybe probably... It,
0: maybe in Denmark or something, like where he's from.
2: Sure, but, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But to exposing, exposing himself to U.S. audiences... I mean, granted, I think his next U.S. hit wouldn't come for quite a while. But I think this was a big deal. I think this made him a, a pretty big name. And certainly by the time he came back to a major blockbuster in the US with, you know, at, at the latest Dr. Strange, when he was the villain in Dr. Strange. Um, I, I think that it's, it's a really strong performance that left a mark on me. And I think maybe, I don't know if I'm, I'm stretching too far to say that. I think it, it leaves a mark on many of its audience.
1: Eh. yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll disagree, uh, just personally on this one. I mean, he, he, it's, you're, I think you're right, Scott, in that I don't think he's given a ton to work with. something about him, like again, like no suspect. It's it I don't know. Just again, maybe it's just the fact that the characters ultimately started. I mean, I think he did like a great job in like a few scenes, but you know, again, if I'm if I'm thinking about this in terms of I mean, you said not memorable, right? So maybe I'm ultimately landing on the same point. Maybe just a little bit lower on the performance, but also not going to find uh character that memorable if I if I think about him at all you know months from now let say it, it might just be in the the context of the the, the ball busting scene uh, which again Craig is very much the focus of um Mads Mikkelsen is just that
2: um yeah I don't know I, I guess I, mean, I don't think he's a passenger I I mean look I, I agree the character is not a memorable one but I think Mads Mickelson even with Daniel Craig Giving an incredible performance in that in that scene and, and the way that you know he's making this torture scene incredibly you know physical in terms of its performance. I think they play off each other really well in a, in a, in a way that I think both of them stick out. It's not just one overshadowing the other.
1: I I, I don't want to sound like I, I read some person came out this week and said something about how like you know you could replace most of these people in big blockbusters. The actors don't mean anything. And I was like, that's insane. I've only seen this in the context of people revolting with like, you know, RDJ as Iron Man, for example, this is a total tangent. My point is like, I don't, even though like maybe that performance itself, like he does play off of Craig. Well, like that could have been any number of people to me, like, you know, the weapon and like doing the torturing, but like, you know, again, like just to focus on it is Craig that like, I'm going to remember for his performance. And I'm like, damn, like who, like, I can't, I think of anyone who could, you know, do that so well. Um, and you know, other scenes again, like you know, they're they're good enough, right? Like he's he's gripping enough. Even like you know, I did enjoy even Poker Showdown and the trying to read him, and like you know, it was it was good enough, but you know, u- ultimately, like not not like overly positive, I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, that is. I guess that is the one thing I liked is that like eventually he tricks him about the tell right because because when i see that for the first time i'm thinking like okay are we really supposed to believe that like this guy who's like you know he's holding this high stakes poker tournament or whatever like everything is at stake here probably a very skilled poker player has like such an obvious tell of like oh he just puts his fingers right here on his temple where everyone can see and it looks kind of weird um but then you know he ends up using that against uh bond which i thought was good but in general yeah i i don't think it's i think this is the weakest element of the movie um i don't think it's a memorable villain especially after they decide to kill him off like scott said uh, i mean i don't necessarily disagree with uh the decision but like you know it, it then leaves us with that last segment of the movie and it's like there's just some people that we vaguely know who they are just sort of running around being the big bads for this last. Um, segment of the movie. Uh, but look, I want to go back to what I said at the start of the review, which is that I feel like this inspired contemporary action movies in a lot of ways. And I think the sad reality, and one of the reasons why, you know, these movies don't always hit for me is because the villains, there are villain problems across a lot of the major franchises that we have nowadays at Blockbuster. I mean, you guys may disagree with me, but I think the MCU only has a small handful of good villains uh dc don't even get me started fasting the furious nobody's even a villain because they all become members of the family by the next movie or their brothers do um them and except for
2: the queen charlize theron but go on
0: well there's still time for her um true but yeah my my point is and i think it comes with the shift in tone i think with trying to make movies that are grittier that are more grounded um i mean that's not what fast and furious is trying to do of course but uh you know what i mean in general um the the opportunity to have a villain who really cuts loose isn't really there anymore like you get a lot of bankers and just like general insidious white guys right who like we don't exactly know what their title is or whatever but they're just kind of like you know behind the scenes being nefarious shoveling around dark money and you know all of this kind of stuff which is just not what I find that interesting maybe that's why i said the plot was a little hard for me to keep up with cuz i don't i don't really care that much about um you know private bank rolling of terrorists and all this stuff that's going on with lashif in this movie but look i want to say it again it doesn't matter if you if you do the movie right which they did here the plot doesn't matter um, so that's, that's kind of where I come down, but I, so I, I think Lashif is not a great villain. Um, I, you know, I'll be interested when we get to Skyfall because I think that is a movie where we have a villain that is, that does cut loose a little bit more.
2: I want to see if it holds up or not, but, uh, um, man, I bet you're so pumped for Rami Malek, who's a villain who looks like he's going to cut loose a little bit. Oh, <laughs> you really
0: set me up for that one, didn't you? Uh, oh God. I forgot that that was the thing that was happening. Uh, I'm missing some context
1: here.
0: This and I, I was watching this and I was like, you know, I'm not happy about this movie being two hours and 40 minutes, no time to die. But if it's like this, I can, I can make it. But then, yeah, you had to go and bring up the fact that Rami Malik is in it. Uh, he looks like anyway.
2: the, he looks like they're going for something like you're getting from Javier Bardem and Skyfall, but we can talk about that later.
0: Yeah, he looked... Almost too much like that.
2: Uh, oh, yeah, certainly. Like I think that might be there. one of the problems.
0: <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the point is, I don't think he's a great villain. I, I just think this is, again, the start of sort of a symptom of modern day blockbusters, which is the focus on more grounded, you know, darker, more philosophical villains or whatever is like just not really um, what grabs my attention. Like, results will vary. But well, that's
2: I, I don't know if I'd he, call him philosophical, but I, I do understand the point not, you're making.
0: Not him specifically, yeah. but I, you know, I think about other, like somebody like Thanos, right? I think is a philosophical villain. Um,
2: it's well, he's one sad. of the good villains in the MCU.
0: He is, but still not like. I would take I would take Doc I would take Alfred Molina's Doc Ock over any of the MCU villains.
2: Okay, but you're so, also taking like one of the, one of the best take, villains. We'll so. say, I'm going to say a know, little bit cherry picking, picking right
0: there, but okay. I take Willem Dafoe as a as Green Goblin over all of that probably, but yeah. Anyway. I mean,
2: Willem, I would take Willem Dafoe any movies.
0: day. <laughs> I just love those two movies. I think that's what it ultimately boils down to. But anyway, uh, let's talk about sort of the the Bond formula, if there is a Bond formula here. Again, a lot of this is subverting um, what we know as the Bond formula, but there are still elements. Um, you know, we have the opening set piece, which is sort of just very loosely connected to the movie that follows. We have the opening credit sequence with the song "M is here," right? Uh, Judy Dench is here at, as as M. She gets, you know, a couple of suitably severe scenes where she's kind of, you know, roasting Bond as she is wont to do. Um, but for the most part, you know, again, we're we're missing some things like the visit to MI6 or um you know q showing up with his array of gadgets um and and things like that did you know this subversion was it effective for you guys um did you miss some of the reliability of those past movies of like you know knowing certain things were were coming the one-liners all that sort of jazz or in general was the shift a positive one for you uh scott
2: yeah, I think I think it still had enough of the callbacks to the formula. So I guess what I would say is I actually think this movie sticks to formula, but it doesn't have a lot of the Bond tropes. Like it doesn't have the Q, you know, yeah. you know, Q coming in. It does have Felix Leiter still. Hooks you sort of at the end, because obviously yeah, you Jeffrey have no Ryan way. Does a good job in his yeah, policy. you have no way of knowing that that's going to be Felix Leiter until, you know, forty-five minutes, an hour left in the movie, whenever it is. And I mean, I think, like I've sort of mentioned at the beginning, I think the opening action scenes are phenomenal. I think that they fit the formula really well. We've not talked about the opening song yet, but I think it is a great opening song. Absolutely rips. I think
0: the late Chris Cornell.
2: Yeah. And is even, in some ways, I think is made even better because it, I feel like the opening needle drop really is perfect for how that opening scene ends too, which I don't think you always necessarily get I mean we've listened to some great opening bond songs but they haven't necessarily perfectly melded with the scene right before it and I think this one does um so that's really awesome I was watching this with with Karen and she's like and we've watched quite a few of them together and she's like oh this is like a really cool opening sequence like the the shooting of um you know the different poker symbols the card symbols yeah. The riff um, comes
0: in really strong at the beginning. That Like that's a yeah. great way to start the song and like, yeah, transition into the, the, the credits for sure.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's very formulaic in that sense. O- opening up, you do miss some of the things. And I think it is a bit more thoughtful about how it places its set pieces and the time it takes in between them, which you could say maybe deviates from the formula. I think there is less action overall after the opening couple sequences in this film than in others, but I think that plays out really nicely. Uh, So yeah, I I almost don't see this as a diversion from the formula. I just see this as uh, sticking to the overall formula, making changes that fit the movie really well. And so in that sense, in terms of the diversions from the formula, I think they're perfect for the movie because things work out well. Obviously if they differ from the formula and the movie's, dog crap then it's like it sucks but they what how they diverted from it and the manner in which they they built this movie rather than building the movie around the formula building the movie fitting the formula where it makes sense diverting in other places it's i think it's the right way to approach this kind of movie and you know building to a formula gets boring over time
0: last jedi um yeah no i i, I agree with you scott and i think the uh <laughs> The opening song for sure. You know my name is is up there. It, I don't think it gets talked about enough as being one of the. Best. I agree. Uh, yeah, but it, it's up there. And to your point, I think you know this one and the other one, which is like you know my absolute favorite. I think, which is the Carly Simon song from the Spy Who Loved Me, have the great transition moments. Like in Spy Who Loved Me, it's where he's parachuting down off of the ski slope and he opens up the Union Jack parachute and then we hear like the first sort of twinkling notes of the song. Like that's a perfect transition too, into the, um, into the opening. But yeah, the Chris Cornell song works really well here. Um, Jay, anything you want to add here?
1: I feel like I touched on this enough, uh, early on. Uh, I think Scott just put it well in that it does stick to the formula, but leaves out some of the tropes. Um, but again, like, you know, it has moments where it calls back, to some of those tropes in in ways I've already mentioned really well. I mean, yeah, I think the one thing I was really waiting for, it was the classic Bond theme and it does show up like right at the end. Right. Just to like, kind of leave you on that high note. And yeah, again, throughout the movie, you know, I feel like there are like little winks and nods Um, in that way. You know, it was fun because it was like, Hey, we are deviating a little bit from the formula again. Like I just keep thinking back to those two guys looking up at him when he orders something that isn't a vodka martini, just like, what (laughs) like what i remember looking to phoebe and being like are you like did he just what and then obviously asshole (laughs) right like that's not james bond
2: yeah
1: um no but you know it you're right like it it changes things but i ultimately think it, it serves the movie well um while still you know like sprinkling things in for people who might be more attached to the old formula again, you know, I, I remember I was tiring of it a little bit, maybe sure. a lot of bit by the end there. Um, and only well, having seen, what was that six before this, but you know, it was, it was definitely a nice
2: change of pace for sure. We, we were six out of 20 deep in the, in the bond franchise and we're, we're revving up now. But I think one of the interesting points there is that like, there's no film that I know about in the bond franchise that would be brave enough to give you like half an hour, of poker playing scenes. Like it's it's just really trusting that your characters and the world that you've built and the tension you can you can derive out of these moments can bang it and it can really pull you through. And you don't need all these, you know, high octane set pieces or kind of zany action to pull you through it. Like you can captivate your audience and then- in that way.
0: And they do break it up in a good way, right? Like it's not just straight up thirty straight minutes of
2: no, playing, no, yeah,
0: which is good. Like, and especially like towards the end, right? Because he gets poisoned, right? And then like the drama builds up because he comes back right after he's been, you know, poisoned or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that they nearly that, killed him. You know, him. Th- that hooks you in. Uh, that's that's you know that's why you remain hooked even though you're like, oh well, here comes another poker playing scene. Um, so. I yeah,
2: do, I great. I do think in terms of just like this is unrelated, but the the speaking of the poker scenes, d- Jeffrey Wright and his like talking to himself is just so cheesy. It's so funny to me. He's like clearly someone knows something I don't. And throws in his cards. I thought that was very yeah. '90s.
1: I mean, to Thank nitpick God. the the problem with me with the poker scenes, I just have to like throw this out there as like a, a poker player is that. <laughs> I, like as someone who likes playing poker, okay. I don't shut someone up, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. The problem with is, that, is not that they, that they they lack action. that was fine. But if you think about it, that the hands that were won and lost had nothing to do with like actually bluffing the other players. Like everything oh, that everyone did is exactly oh, what they were 100%. supposed to do based on their hands. like there was it was all luck and no and, skill
0: and yeah and bond even says that like the first time right about what about the tell or whatever he's like well he won or whatever and bond's like well it's only because like he won on the last card right he won on the river or whatever like he he had nothing until that last point which is oh, look at we got and
2: two poker players over here scott knows having, it's called the ha- river it was on the turret, <laughs> first
0: of all but whatever move on having a freaking a straight flush like yeah that is just like that's pure luck like um so, I'm I, but I mean, that's what poker is, I guess. You make your uh, own luck. I, I, agree boys. With you that. I do, I I do 100% agree with you, Jay, that like the psychological element almost gets taken out of it a little bit by that. They
1: all a- played the that's odds, just- like, no one actually played the man,
0: or like, you know, I guess Bond problem.
1: kind of tried to, but again, he was holding cards that was like, even if he didn't know about the tell, quote unquote, like, that's still a hand you ride to the end. I'm just saying, yeah, whatever, that's- it's fine.
0: That's re- that's really like a problem, I think, of just poker scenes in general and stuff. Is like there's just a certain amount of suspense that you know gets taken out of it when you know that they could just write somebody to have whatever
2: hand they want, you know. It's but that's movies, man. That's that's every scene in every movie. Sure. Maybe no, he has no a gun watch in his pocket.
1: if you want to see how to do a poker movie, right? But <laughs>
0: let's talk about moving on <laughs> in this movie, um, because there are some good ones. You know, we start off with a uh, with this one in. Well, not start off, but we have this opening one in Madagascar. Um, long chase sequence and fight, which is well done. The air, airport um, scene with Bond chasing down the Greek bank, bank or whatever he is, Demetrius, um, is is Well, he, he's not
2: chasing Demetrios, but yeah. Is he not? Demetrios gets killed and when he's dealing. He... But they're
0: like fighting in the car.
2: No, that's not that's not Demetrius. Demetrius drops the bag off at Miami Airport and is going to kill Bond. He like holds a knife on him.
0: This is my point: when the movie's good, you don't even care about the plot. Um, Doesn't so, matter. So there you go. But anyway, that 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 whole thing that happens at the airport is a set piece, um, and then yeah. you know we have some some stuff towards the end. Um, once Le Chiffre is out of the picture, um, sort of the culmination of. Mr. White and Vesper and everything that's going on there. Don't forget um, the staircase. Yes, of course, the the fight with uh, like I, I mentioned them earlier Ob- Obano and these other sort of um, people who we see in Madagascar that are involved with the sheaf. Um, what stood out to you guys, Jay?
1: I already lost the question. You got to take me a step back. What the action, what action sequence was, what like was out? good? I mean, it's yeah. got to be it's got to be the first chase scene that ends at the embassy right i mean it was like you want to talk about letting a villain like run loose like he was chasing spider-man like that man was making jumps and leaps that like it was it was insane it was parkour again that felt very like old school bond and like why are you like running up a crane right now like didn't we see something like that in golden eye like
2: yeah, yeah.
0: If yeah, if, if, if this on, character like, uh, antenna at the end of Goldeneye, yeah, exactly. If, if this and
2: character so... is is in a is in like a '90s or an '80s Bond movie, he's called like Wallrunner or some stupid shit like that. You know? <laughs> sure. No, I mean that that one. You know, again, the you know, it, it took
1: you through like quite a bit. Like it, it was it was a long chase scene that went through like you know a few different like areas. That, and again, the yeah, the absurdity of it, I think, will like stick with me. Again, the other ones, you know, carry more impact for other reasons. But, like, that's the one that just, again, like, felt a little more classic. And, like, I, I did enjoy just how, like, I was laughing, you know. And, that, that, like, that's, anytime you can make me laugh out loud in a movie, like, you know, that, that, that's worth something to me. Um, yeah, so that, that one sticks, even though, and, like, you know, to, to give Craig his credit, like, he obviously is much, like, physically gifted than most, if not all the Bonds we've seen. And, you know, he does a lot of his stunts. But the stunt double in this movie actually was, like, fairly distracting, I don't know if either of you noticed that, but the hair was just not right, and like you could just tell. I like, didn't even notice. Really it was obviously. Was like I, I mean, definitely did notice. That. Okay, that was just me then. Um, no, nah, especially in that scene, I just felt like the, the the stunt double was just really distracting. But that's fine.
2: It's okay. If if Daniel Craig was playing his stunt double, it, it would have been a slightly different role, and Jay would have noticed it. Don't worry. Fair. <laughs> Go, just go. I, I'm not doing this
0: again. <laughs> well, when we do, the you can't bait me. When we do the Mission Impossible countdowns, I dare you to find Tom Cruise's stunt double. I I, won't. Ju- I, I dare you.
1: I won't. <laughs> exactly. And it's gonna be great. Go watch the Prestige
2: again. You both suck. <laughs> uh,
0: Scott, any uh, anything to add here?
2: No, I mean Madagascar is certainly the standout pure action set piece for me. And I think if you were to not, point it like
0: Madagascar to escape to Africa. No, not, not write. that
2: beautiful, beautiful film that Noah Baumbach wrote. Um, I think he, I, wrote uh, he wrote the third one. He wrote the third one. Ah, bummer. Oh, well, <laughs> just by that much. Um, I I thought that that scene, you're talking about inspirations for action movies to come. That scene is what I, I feel like really inspired um, a lot of what we what we think of as like sort of like big action set pieces these days and these sort of like longer drawn out chase or fight sequences. You know, I I see a lot of that. And I feel like in in the, you know, second half of the mission impossible franchise, even maybe even starting mission impossible three, it really feels like there are some, there is some inspiration coming from this particular scene in this particular movie. And I'm sure it's not the first movie to have a scene like this. I don't want to sit here, but it's the first movie of just a huge scale that feels like it really doubles down on having this really, you know, to what Jay was describing, this sort of kind of crazy set piece. And I, you know, to, to add to this, what Jay was saying, and I'll just repeat myself or you know, repeat what he said. I think that the end of the scene is, is equally great as sort of the meat of it when he, they're chasing through this construction site. I think it's fascinating to see like what the resolution ends up being like. He's chased him all the way through Madagascar. He's chased him into this embassy. He's like taking him hostage and he just like, Decides to change course, throw him back and, you know, not complete the mission to the full extent, but in the heat of the moment, do something that's going to get you know, at least like a, a half victory um, before he gets scolded by Judy Dench. But I, I really enjoy that scene. I do think that there is some interesting stuff going on in Venice. I don't think that action scene is, is nearly as well done. Sort of the climactic scene. It's like it's almost that, that scene's almost like kind of difficult to watch because it's so close quarters. The camera work isn't the best. Um, The outdoor setting in Madagascar was, I think, a lot easier to shoot for them, probably. Um, I just found it difficult to necessarily follow <laughs> who who was hitting who in a particular moment in, the, in that scene. But I think it's cool to sink a building in Venice. That's like, I mean, that's got to be something.
0: Yeah. Uh, action scenes in Venice will just will never... Measure up to uh, to the League League of Extraordinary Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. The the chase on the streets of Venice. Speaking of Sean Connery classics. (laughs) Where there are no streets. Yeah, it, it is a Sean Connery classic. Was that I think that was the last movie he did, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so. What a horrible so movie in my
0: I think Finding Forrester could have been the last minute he did. I forget what it was though. He passed up on something. It might have been X Men. I think he passed up on being Magneto, to be Magneto. in order to do the Le- League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which <laughs> what a
2: horrid choice. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry, Sean. Um,
2: Alan Quartermain was, versus Magneto. Yeah. Eric Lynch-er.
0: Uh I don't really have too much to add. I think you guys hit the highlights. The cra- even though we saw something similar in GoldenEye, I do think the crane fight is still pretty awesome um, yeah in the Madagascar sequence. Uh, yeah, and, that
2: is my standout and talking about the staircase, too, which we we glossed over a little bit, which I think is co- sort of the interstitial action set piece in the middle of the movie. I think what's what's most interesting about that is is not necessarily how grand of a set piece it is, but it's sort of the involvement of Vesper, right? like it's it's like this really it's big brutal too. it's more yeah, it's this really brutal. Physical scene where it's not just the Bond girl on the side watching James win the day over and save her life. Like she's not necessarily saving his life, but she's contributing to the fight at the end, slamming his hand on the ground. And she does out.
0: literally save his life later, right? Like she yeah later yeah absolutely the defibrillator um to yeah. literally save his life. So yeah, that yeah well
2: I, I, yeah I, I think that it's such a it's such a good character moment, which you don't often get in these sort of big action set pieces that it stands out for that reason, but just as pure action can't be the highlight when you have a scene like Madagascar Oh, the idiot. Also the idiot agent with putting his hand on his ear. What a rookie.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah. He's like, what? Take your hand off. Can you repeat that? (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. Um, All right. Anything you guys want to add before we move into wrap up? Let's bring it home. All right. The queen. Scene or moment, Jay.
1: I'm deviating from the formula. I'm giving you two, and you can't stop me.
2: I mean, and I could edit, edit it, out. it out,
1: but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we already talked a, a lot about um, the earning his double O credits. That's one, so I'll just gloss past that. The second, um, Bond breaks into M's house. I mean, the you know the banter, the like. I thought M was just a random syllable. I didn't think it stood for one more word. And like, you know, they'll never find your body, or like, it's not what she said, but it was more or less what happened. Um, and again, just kind of laying the groundwork for this relation, which you both guys, you know, tease as like more significant in these movies than the others. I mean, I, I don't know. I thought that was just really fun for him to just be there, and she's clearly like, what the hell? And we're kind of sitting here like, these are like double O agents, but somehow like. He's still the only one that's done it. I don't but know. We do have I, I was here for it.
0: That it's like just a crazy, crazy continuity to think that to have Judy Dench's M here at like the start of Bond's career when obviously that, you know, is completely asynchronous with what we've seen before and the fact that
2: it's a true soft didn't... reboot.
0: Yeah, it is.
2: Anyway. And, uh, and this is a point, I mean, to talk about that. I mean, one, I think one of the remarkable things, we haven't talked about Judy Dench in this movie yet until just now and i think one of the remarkable things i remember her role being much larger in this movie than when i actually rewatched it and i think that just speaks to how great of an m she is that's all i'm gonna say she 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 has some some really memorable scenes
0: she makes an impact for sure but i'm also glad that the character does develop at least for my memory over the course of the movies because like i do think i would get tired at a certain point of just her showing up to be like to just you know, slap Bond on the wrist yeah. every single movie.
2: And... You sexist pig! Move on. Um, I guess so.
0: I mean, it's yeah. Your favorite senior moment?
2: Yeah, favorite senior moment. I think the the intensity of again being brave enough to put in a scene where there's not a big action in the it's not raising tension in the traditional action sense. I think is is good, and so. Getting poisoned, having to stagger out to the car, having this really intense moment of trying to put the defibrillator on and not quite doing it in time because one of the connectors um, fell out. I think that is a form of tension in the movies that you don't really get anywhere else. And I think, in, or in any other Bond movie that we've seen so far. And I think that's awesome. I think that's really great work. You did ask if I wanted to mention anything, so I'm going to divert us away for a second because we haven't talked about the end of the film properly. And I think that sort of the, like the conclusion of Vesper's character and where it sort of goes after after the submarine and La dying. I think when I, you know, the first few times I'd watch this movie, I find and I think it still is very cringy. Some of the scenes in the last half hour of the movie, some of the scenes where, you know, they're going back and forth and the honeymoon phase of their love or whatever. Talking about running away. I think they're like brutally cringy, like really sort of like feels like very old fashioned Bond sort of, Hey, you know, this woman really fell head over heels for him, even though it doesn't really make that much sense in the grand scheme of things. Yes. They had these really intense moments, but doesn't really make sense that they're going to throw away everything and just sail off around the world forever in their lives. And I think that it's, it's so intentional that they're doing that, right? They are doing this to set up the sort of betray. Well, it's like, is it a betrayal? Is it? it it's really like, it, it's sort of like a half betrayal, I guess, because she's not doing it to betray him. She's doing it to move on. In some ways, I don't know. It's kind of—it's
0: not a real betrayal, but yeah, it feels he like
2: certainly, it, obviously, it feels that way to him because um, he's being deceived and whatnot, and obviously, he has a very strong emotional response before the final conversation with him at the end of the movie. But I was like super that was like the one thing in this movie that I was super negative about coming in and I think I I really like what they end up doing with it because I do really view it more as look at look at how old Bond movies have kind of treated this these types of moments at the end of movies where our hero James Bond has saved the day granted he also does not save the day it is just Mr. White who comes in and kills Lacheve um again I think another comment on Bond as a character, you know, a meta meta comment on Bond as a character and wins the girl. But actually, not only does he not win this girl because this girl is different. This is the sort of character that okay, that, OK, throw us a bone and believe this actually happened. How devastating this is going to be and how much this is going to affect his, you know, his his mental state moving forward. And I actually really I think in some ways, although I do find it a little bit over the top and a little bit cringy. More than a little bit, I, I find it cringy. I think it's it's a really interesting meta narrative on bonds of yesteryear, and then setting up this character to be that asshole, but hopefully not in the same way as we continue to sort of live with Craig's Bond.
0: Yeah, I'll point out the uh, the first scene between Bond and Vesper where they just have like some fun banter. I think um, where
2: they're kind of like Sherlockian tearing apart it, each other's it, like yeah, like
0: just like trying to figure out you know whoever who each other is yeah. like every aspect of their personality just on their first meeting and you know she she does get some a few moments of like kind of similar to to M's rant in golden Eye, where she's like well you just think of women as something disposable or something like that she says um you know and not as something to be taken seriously um but to to the point to you know to the credit of the movie they actually kind of hold bond to that more than we've seen like in in golden eye. Yeah. Again, M roasted him, but do we really see signs that he changed in the movie? Absolutely not. But here, I think his relationship with Vesper does force him to, you know, treat her as a human being and not just as, um, you know, something disposable, like she says. And I think that's why there are stakes and why the connection just feels so much deeper because it's just, you know, he clearly has, more real feelings for her than we've seen towards other Bond girls in the past. But all right, let's put a score on it. Jay, what do you give Casino Royale? Eight
1: point nine. Just, just uh, fell shy of the nine mark.
0: Nine point five. 5. Uh, Eight point seven. It's a it's a fantastic movie. It's will probably be my favorite of these movies um, when all is said and done. Um, and it definitely holds up, and if, if No Time to Die is, you know, three-fourths of as good as this is, then I'll definitely take that. But That'll do it for this episode of the 007 Countdown. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't forget to check out everything else we have here in the Some Like It Scott podcast feed, including Some Like It Scott itself with our weekly movie reviews. And we hope you will support us over on Patreon, if you can, patreon.com slash pods. Even if you can't, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And please come back for the next episode of the 007 Countdown, in which we'll be moving right along to the next entry in the series, 2008's Quantum of Solace. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Shelton, we'll see you next time.